All right. Good morning. Morning, 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 morning. <laughs> good to see everybody today, and um, it is good to see you on the other side of a fast. How about that? Amen to that. <laughs> All right. I just want to honor everybody um, and say thank you so much for your prayers or whatever way um, that you were able to participate um, in this time of fasting and consecration over the course of this past week. Um, we do believe that God honors it all, whatever um, part you were able to participate in that. The good news is that God's constantly responding to faith. Amen? Okay, so he is... Uh, not only one who um, requires faith of us, but he actually is the one who rewards those who come to him in an earnest faith. And so um, in earnestly seeking him, he's going to earnestly reward you, and it's uh, good news. So what a way to start the year. So um, this is uh, actually going to be the second part of our series that we're doing uh, to begin the year together, which is called Miracles, Let Him Be Known. Miracles, let him be known. If I have not gotten the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here. And what we're doing over the course of the uh, next seven weeks is we're actually going through uh, the miracles of Jesus as represented in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, we're going through the miracles of Jesus, and we're believing God for miracles that ultimately will testify to his power and create new opportunities for the gospel of Jesus Christ to advance. Amen? It's like that, that is the good news, right? It's like unto a purpose that we might see Jesus as he is. He might be revealed as the scripture says he is, and that we might actually encounter him as the scripture says we can. And so um, today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the second of Jesus' miracles that was represented in the gospel of John. And we're going to focus on this statement, that God's miracles are important for spreading the gospel, since some people will not believe in Jesus unless they see signs and wonders. Now, that might already be a statement, people like, wait a minute, wait a minute. But let's read the scripture and see what Jesus said himself. Let's see what Jesus Christ said himself. But before that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us, that you might show not only who you are, but all that you've done, and all that you desire to continue to do to glorify your name and save the lives of those who are so desperately in need of you. God, we count ourselves amongst that number, and God, we're asking that today as we look to your word, that you would fill us with a faith that is eternal a faith that is transformative and a faith that really spills out over us into impacting the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we're going to read today. I'm going to give you a little bit of background after we read it, and then we will get into the message itself. So it said in verse 46, So he, meaning Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee. And if you remember last week's message, Cana was a location of the wedding where he had performed his first miracle. So he's returning to the very same place where he performed his first miracle and continues to minister, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. 
When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, who said to him? Jesus. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Interesting. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, this isn't obviously everyone's story, but for the people that he's addressing, at least here in this moment, this is a reality. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself not only heard about Jesus, but then believed and all his household as well. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea in Galilee. And so what we see here is that Jesus is obviously setting up attention. There's a tension here because Jesus is ultimately coming to fulfill his work at the cross to save humanity from their sins, right? That would be the greatest miracle of all, and it's no small accident that whenever Jesus began his ministry, the first miracle that he performed was turning water into wine, that he literally transforms something from one state to another, even as he transforms our lives from broken, bruised, bound by sin, bound by demonic activity, and transforms it into something that's a new creation freed by the good news of Jesus Christ, freed by his resurrection from the dead, freed from his blood that cleanses us and washes us and makes us clean. But here in this uh, second uh, instance of a miracle being performed, what we see is that it's again a message of not just I'm going to transform you, but I want you to have confidence and put your trust in my character, who I am. It's not just what I can do for you, but I want you to understand and know. Let it be revealed who I am and let your faith be in who I show myself to be, the Son of God. We know that in the Gospel of John, John's a little bit different than the other Gospels, which are the synoptics, right? You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which a lot of times are repeating some of the same accounts that Jesus has in his earthly ministry. John's a little bit different because he's writing to a blended audience. He's writing to a blended audience of both Greeks and Jews, and so he's coming from the vantage point of an evangelist. He's coming so that people might believe the good news about about Jesus. And we know that because even at the end of John, when he's summarizing all of his ministry in John, <clears throat> John chapter 20, he actually says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
So the very point, we'll come back to this over and over again. The point of the miracles is not just to give us the spiritual heebie-jeebies. It is not just to give us the willies. It's not just to uh, give us some sort of idea that we are spiritual ninjas or, you know, spiritual SWAT team, you know, on a spiritual high. But it's to seek God on behalf of his gracious kindness and goodness that God, who is the same yesterday, today and forever. That's what the scripture says about Jesus is able to do the same things that he did 2000 plus years ago so that people might come and believe that they might believe that he is the son of God. And according to this particular scripture, it's important that some see miracles or some are actually able to experience miracles because without them, they will not believe. Isn't that what Jesus said? Now, the interesting thing about Jesus is in this case, Jesus, you would have thought that if he was uh, a scholarly individual, he would have rebuked that thought, right? He would have said, no, no, no. If you are going to actually encounter me, if you are going to recognize me as I am, then you must take my word as it is. You don't need any encounter with me. You don't need to experience any miracle. My word is enough for you. And that's all you need to believe. But what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Did he look down on the official because he came in desperation, asking for a transforming miracle in his son's life who was at death's door? Or did he have mercy and compassion on him and in the midst of that mercy and compassion say, you know what, I'm going to perform a miracle to help you believe. Did he perform a miracle to help him believe? The answer is absolutely yes. If you remember another one of Jesus' 12 disciples, a man named Thomas. Thomas is somebody that I can identify with. Because growing up in a household like mine, I had a uh, father who was a physician and everything was empirical. It had to be empirical for me, right? And unless I see the facts, I'm not going to believe. When in pre-med, I'm not going to believe it unless I see the facts. And I had a natural bent of skepticism about myself. Just like Thomas, who said, listen, unless I put my hands in his wrists and I put them in his side where that spear was jabbed into him when he was crucified for our sins, I will not believe. Remember Thomas? But did Jesus leave Thomas to his skepticism and his unbelief? What did he do? He graciously, kindly showed up in power, and said, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Put your hands right here in my wrist where the nails went. Put your hand in my side where that spear was jabbed into me, puncturing my heart, making sure that I was at death's door, right? He gave him in his compassion what he needed to believe. And in this case, with this official whose son was at death's door, it said that he had heard about Jesus, but it didn't say that he had yet believed. It didn't say that he had yet believed. He had heard about what Jesus had done. He had heard about what Jesus, who Jesus was. And so then he made his way to him to see if it could be true. He made his way to him to see if it could be true. And Jesus did not, did not malign the official in his present state but he actually gave him an answer so that he can experience the miracle that he had for him. 
Jesus gave him a miracle so that he could not only express his compassion, but show exactly who he was to that official. Now, this uh, particular instance is interesting because you think about an official, and an official would have had everything that they probably needed in a worldly sense. In a worldly sense, right? He probably would have had some sort of high standing. He probably would have been a man of means. He would have been some man of some reputation. But how many people know that God will allow us, even in the midst of a worldly sense, to come to an end to, of ourselves so that we are desperate for him? He says, you might have everything in a worldly sense. You might have all the money you need. You might have all of the friendships you need. You might have all of the reputation you think you need. But at the end of the day, Jesus will say, I'm the only one who can bring life to you. I'm the only one who can bring life to your family. I'm the only one who can actually stop death at your door and actually transform the trajectory of your life. And this is ultimately what Jesus is doing in this circumstance with the official's son. So what we see, again, is that Jesus' second miracle would show Christ as a great physician with the miraculous power to heal broken lives lurking at death's door. And in Scripture, in his return to Canaan and Galilee, it was the location of the wedding. Again, the wedding where he had performed the first miracle. And it's important to know that the man came because he heard of Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us? That means that all of you in here, if you've already experienced the transforming work of Jesus in your life, whether you feel it or not, you have a testimony. You have a testimony that God's given you in him. You might not think about it often. You might not actually elevate it in your own mind or heart. But you often can take for granted the work of God in your life that can be life-saving and life-transforming for somebody else. How many people know that to be true? If you have actually grown up in church, see, I didn't grow up in church, so it's easy for me to testify about the time that I was living in darkness and sin, bound by sin, and now when I'm actually living free in Jesus, right? There was a, a stark difference, a contrast, so much so that when I went back home and started testifying about Jesus changing my life, people did not believe me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anybody have that experience before? <laughs> okay, going back home, I was a party kid, and then people were trying to find the ways that I was still the same so that they could go and say that this gospel wasn't real. But over the course of time, they found out, wait a minute, there's a consistency. Not only is he not doing the same things he used to do, but he's actually consistently becoming more like Jesus. And that's what we should be if we're actually walking with him, right? We should become more like Jesus, not less. We should become more like what we see in the scripture, not less. And my question for you is how much growth has there been over this past year of your life? Has there been a stagnation? And could 2023 be the year that he's actually trying to break through, even though you might be at death's door, and actually bring you to a new place in him? Anybody ever feel that way before, where I'm stagnating in my faith? Well, here's the point. In this particular instance, this man was coming because he'd heard about something that others had experienced. And when you've grown up in church, maybe you've, both, you've heard about Jesus, but you've not yet experienced him. 
Maybe you've not yet experienced him in such a way that your life has been transformed by him. If you grew up in the Methodist church, anybody grow up Methodist in here? Those are my grandparents, okay? I did not grow up with them, so I didn't always have the exposure that I needed through them. But what I saw was that in the Methodist church, there was a man named John Wesley. I mean, people have heard of John Wesley before, right? The founder of the Methodist church. And for years, this man was preaching what he knew about God, preaching what he knew about God, but he had never encountered him until there was one experience where he was on his way somewhere and God got a hold of him by his spirit and he gave this testimony that somehow my heart was strangely warmed. I mean, people have heard this testimony about him before. My heart was strangely warmed. And so like Nicodemus, he not only heard about him, but he was born again. He was made a new man because he understood that Jesus said, listen, unless you are born again, it doesn't matter what you've heard of him. It doesn't matter what you've been exposed to. It doesn't matter what you've seen of him. What matters is a new creation in Christ. And until you've been born again, made a new creation in him, you don't have the testimony that God wants to give you. Because when you encounter him, he makes you new. He empowers you to live free of sin. He empowers you to live in resurrection life. He empowers you to see him as he is and actually live as a Christian. But here's the thing. The people in Canaan were testifying about how God had made water, wine, and this man heard about it. They needed to hear that testimony. They heard about it, and so he came to Jesus. He said, Jesus, I heard what you've done in other people's lives. Can you do the same in my son's life who's at death's door? And so many of us in our faith, we're not only limited to just hearing about Jesus when Jesus wants us to encounter him, but we're also people, we're also people who actually say, you know what, I have got a testimony, but I need to learn that it's not just for me. It's not just for me. It's for my family member that's sick and dying. It's for my friend that's sick and dying. It's for my coworker that's sick and dying. They may have everything that they need, like this official, externally, but they're literally at death's door. And what you see <laughs> is the official coming and saying, listen, I heard what you did. I don't know if I believe yet, but can you heal my son? If you just come, if you just come, you can heal him. If you just come, you can heal him. And we all have ideas in our mind about how we think Jesus needs to answer our prayers. Do we not? <laughs> and so he comes with a formula because they thought in that day that if a person was going to work a miracle, they needed to be in the presence of the person and actually, you know, do their thing, right? <laughs> Maybe do a little crucifix, you know, <laughs> right? Even before Jesus went to the cross. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But like, you know, do a little sign or something like that. But Jesus says, I'm turning this on its head. I'm turning this on its head. You want me to come in the way that you think I should to answer your prayers. But I'm telling you, go believing and your son will be healed. And whenever we're trying to understand Jesus as he is, yes, he wants to give us encounters with himself, but how many people know that eventually he'll bring us to the place where he says, you've got to trust my word. 
you've got to trust my word. And I'm not going to fit into a box and be a formula for you to control. I'm going to be God in heaven who sustains all things by my powerful word. And if you want to experience my miracle power, you're going to have to trust the word that I give to you. The word that I give to you. So, how many of you before have been like an official son? I mean, this official who had a son who was in desperate need or a death door. I have. And I know many of you don't know our story, but for years I was crying out to God, saying, God, heal my son. God, heal my son. God, heal my son. Who for seven years plus had epileptic seizures that were increasing so much so that he couldn't function in daily life. Multiple grand mal seizures that would take him out day after day after day, multiple times a day. No matter how, how strong the drugs were. <laughs> we were just trying to keep him alive. And I was crying out to the God of miracles. Saying, God, if you just show up in this moment... I'm already a disciple, but Lord, I'll believe you. And how much, not only will I believe you, but so many other people, I know if they just see a miracle, they'll believe you. Do it the way I'm asking you, God. Do it the way I'm pleading with you for. And for seven years, seven years, he didn't show up the way I was asking. How many people know that God performed a miracle? <laughs> oh, hold on now. Yeah, let's roar about that. <laughs> God performed a miracle. Because, because, listen to this now. In November of 2022... We were able, as a family, to celebrate over a year of no seizures after a surgery that... Hold on, I need to tell you the story. I appreciate, I appreciate the excitement, but I need to tell you the story. Be like, yes, miracles. No, this is good. But the way that God performed the miracle is through the hands of skillful surgeons. The way that he performed the miracle is when he was born, there was an imperceptible, imperceptible hole in the cranium. And what would happen is that the tissue of the brain would dip down into it and send electrical charges through the brain, causing the seizure over and over again. For years of testing, they could not find it. 
But how many people know, as we were praying, God was increasing the technology in our land? The images, the medical imaging in our land. And all of a sudden, in one of those years, they were able to see it. And in the midst of seeing it, they were saying, we could do something about this. And that previously imperceptible hole was able to be plugged. That imperceptible hole was able to release him from his suffering. And now for over a year, now you can clap, for over a year, yes. There have been none. And you might see him jamming sometimes in this worship, giving glory to God. Because my man is a musician. He's got a new song in his heart and he's playing. Because God performed a miracle in his life. That's right, baby. <laughs> performed a miracle in his life. But did it come the way that I thought it would come? But is it any less of a miracle that God healed my son's life who was at death's door? No. And my question for you today is will you trust God and his word even when he doesn't come the way you think he's going to come? How many of us have prayed prayers before and said, God, I or family member or friend are in need and we stopped praying or we gave up praying to the God of miracles because he didn't come in the manner or in the time that we wanted him to. We had a formula, just like the official. We had a formula. How many people have ever been guilty of that before? Even praying in Jesus' name, right? <laughs> right? Sort of like if I could just look at this word and say, in the, well, maybe I didn't say it right, in Jesus' name, <laughs> right? The miracle needs to happen. And he says, the power is in, not in your formula. The power is in my word. And what this official saw was that when he went believing God's word, he went believing that word that's now for our benefit written for us. But in his moment, all he had it was from the horse's mouth, from Jesus' mouth himself. He said, go believing and your son will be healed. He had no option except to go and take Jesus at his word for that miracle and say, you know what? It might be this 15 to 17 mile trip back to where I'm from, but I'm going to go believing all along the way. And as he went, he found out later when his son was healed was when? According to the scripture, the same hour that Jesus had spoken. The same hour that Jesus had spoken. And for some of us in here, you need to press God until he speaks. Do you, do you understand what I mean by that? He's already spoken by his written word. And what is that written word for? He said, according to Romans 15, 3, he said everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. In that instance, it was talking about the Old Testament, right? 
Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. We might have hope. Hope in what? Hope in the same God who did in those moments what he can do for us today. Hope that Jesus either now or at the resurrection is going to wipe away every tear from our eye. So that there's no more mourning, crying, suffering, or pain for those who believe. Hope that there is resurrection power available to us today, not just in the sweet by and by. He says, yes, I've written my word to you, but will you come to me to believe? There's so many of you who've just heard about him, but you're like the official saying, maybe he can. Maybe he can. But will we come to him asking him? Asking him for miracles. Not only on behalf of ourselves, but on behalf of others. You see that? The official came. It wasn't necessarily his personal need. It was on behalf of his son. And if you're satisfied with where you are in God, will you come to God on behalf of miracles for others? Because some of us will not believe unless we see miraculous signs. But let me tell you, how many people know that I have family members and friends now putting their trust in a God that looks out for them because they've heard the miraculous things that God's done for our family. And we get to testify about it. Hello. That's the point, right? That people might believe. Believe that he is the son of God. Believe that if I take him at his word, he can transform not only my life, but the lives of my family members, friends, co-workers, and those at death's door. Because God's word literally stops death at its door. God's word literally stops death at its door. And this is a not just a New Testament reality. And let me, let me take you back to a man named Solomon. Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived. Solomon said, until Jesus, obviously, there was none wiser than him before or after, right? But Solomon, in the dedication of the temple, now he wasn't wise in the way he lived, but he was wise at least intellectually. <laughs> Big difference. And this is what he said in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41, when he was dedicating the temple. He says, praying to God, likewise. Remember, John was speaking from the perspective of an evangelist. But King Solomon, when he was dedicating the temple to Israel, said, God, we're asking you to look upon your people with favor. And when we sin and go astray, God, when we turn back to you and we turn back to this place, God, would you forgive us? God, would you heal us? God, would you turn us to yourself? God, would you please work in advance? What is he praying for? Mercy and grace, right? But he says, likewise, when a foreigner, this Solomon praying, who is not of your people Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, 
for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you. So he's talking about the foreigners, those who weren't of the people of Israel, those who weren't of the people of God. He's saying, please answer their prayers. Let's continue. In order that, everybody say in order that. In order that all the peoples of the earth may what? Know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. What was he asking for? He was saying, God, heal. God, move in miracle power. God, move on behalf of the prayers of even those who don't yet know you, that they might know who you are. That they might come to believe who you are. And ultimately, that general revelation would turn into special revelation as Jesus was declared the Christ, the Messiah, who came to save not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Came to save all who would believe in him. But he did it in this instance, at least, through showing his mercy and compassion through miracle power. Not in the way that they expected, but in the way that he said, listen, you're going to learn to trust my character and my word. If you have my word, then you know my character. And if you have my character, then you know what I'm not only able to do, but I'm willing to do. Not in the way that you expect. Not in the way that you make demands of me, right? Because no man or woman will control God. You understand that? No man or woman will control God. I love how he's talking about, C.S. Lewis is talking about Jesus whenever he's referencing and comparing him to Aslan in uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody read the Chronicles of Narnia? Okay. Remember, he talks about Aslan. And he says... (laughs) They had this picture of Aslan, and they said, is he safe? Is he safe? Does anybody remember this? He said, is he safe? And to that they reply, who said anything about being safe? Talking about the great lion. And for us, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He said, who said anything about being safe? He's not safe, but he is good. And that's what God is going to show us about himself. We want peace and safety as we think about it. And he's like, I'm not trying to bring you into a peace and safety of your own concoction where you'll have no need of me. He's like, I'm not safe, but I am good. And if you will trust my word, you will come to believe that I am exactly who I said I am the son of the living God who came to take the sin of the world. And the greatest miracle that he's ever performed is a miracle of salvation. Stopping all of us at death's door. Stopping all of us at death's door when we were full of sin, deserving death. He said, I went to a cross so that you wouldn't have to take that death yourself. So that you wouldn't have to take that punishment yourself. 
but I would take it on myself, die, and according to my word, three days later, rise from the dead, so that not only could you have forgiveness of sins, but new life in him. In Jesus' name, amen? amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you've given us your word and that by your word, you've given us the ability not only to know your goodness, but to see your miracle power in our lives. And God, I first pray for anyone in here who's been like the official, been like the official who might have heard before, and the very reason they're even here today is they've heard from someone, somewhere, somehow about your miracle working power, about your sinless life, about you turning water into wine, about your death and resurrection from the dead. But truth be told, they've only been hearers of your word and not those who have yet believed. And God, I pray first for them. God, I pray that by the Holy Spirit you would convict and convince today, bring revelation today of Jesus as the Son of God. And I pray that anybody who's just been playing a religious game, they may call themselves Christian. But God, when they look at their lives, it's full of sexual morality. It's full of drunkenness. God, it's full of lying and jealousy and envy and strife. And though they've heard of you, they've prior to now not believe, but now they say, I want to turn from my sin and believe. I want to put my trust in the living God who can perform a miracle in my heart, mind, and life. God, would you draw them to yourself today and turn them in repentance and faith to you? And if that's anyone in here, we always like to give people an opportunity to say, you know what, I've heard about God before, but truth be told, my life shows that I am not living as if I believe that he is who he said he is. I've tried to relate to him as Savior, but I've never related to him as Lord of my life. And I know this is my moment to do so. If that's you, would you please raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Is there anyone at all who says, Jesus, this is my moment to turn to you as Lord? And it's not just for people in here. If it's anyone online, they're people who will stand and pray with you today. Anyone at all who says, I need to be made a new creation in Christ. Well, if that's you, you can pray along with me. Almighty God, I pray that today would be my day. That I've heard of you before, but now I want to put my trust in you and believe you as the Son of God. I turn away from my sin and I ask you to forgive me. I'm asking you to make me a new creation. And I'm asking you to help me to live by faith in your resurrection power and life. God, from this moment forward, teach me to love you as you've loved me and put my faith in you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen. And if there's anyone else, I'm sorry, let's just finish with the prayer. If there's anyone else who says, you know what? I have literally, like the official's son, seen not just myself, but others in my life, in my family, in my friendship group, in my neighborhood, people at death's door, 
and I know they need miracles in their lives. I want you to think about who those people might be right now. Yes, we've come out of the moment of fasting and prayer, but we're going to be a key people who continually pray into these miracles. And I want to ask you, if you have somebody like that right now, let's cry out to God together. Let's cry out to God together that God would actually stop death at its door on behalf of these family members, friends, co-workers, and the like. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a miracle worker, and just like the official came to you, just like the official came to you on behalf of his son and said, God, would you just come and heal him? God, we're crying out for those family members, those friends, and those co-workers right now who need a miracle from you. God, would you intervene on their behalf? We ask you. In Jesus' name. God, would you intervene and show your mercy, your kindness, and your grace. God, would you intervene and help them to believe even as we've come to believe in you. God, help us not to sit by and just wait for a miracle, but help us to have the faith to come to you day after day after day, even when it looks different than we expect, crying out to you for the miracle on their behalf. God, we say that we trust you today. In Jesus' name, amen.